Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez Brownlee. And I'm Andrew Manganelli. And we got a bunch of fun stuff again today. So, okay, we're going to talk about PS5. There's a bunch of tech happening, of course. Reviews are kind of out now. Ours is right around the corner, and that's a fun one. After that, I actually sat down with two Apple VPs to talk about Apple Silicon, the M1 chip, and the products they just put them in from their little November One More Thing event, plus a little glance into the future there. Then afterwards, we're going to welcome back Brandon Havard, MKBHD, set designer, visual director, and we'll talk a little more about some of the incredible intros we've had to some of the videos on the channel lately. Sort of a, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, yeah. at the magic that happens there. So if you've been looking forward to that, stay tuned. That's all coming up. But recently, you know what I noticed? If you look yeah. back on uh, the, the last, I think it's seven videos on, on the channel, mm -hmm. they have all been either PlayStation or almost all iPhone, but PlayStation or Apple. That's, that's the last seven. <laughs> that's funny. Like... I guess really thinking about it, yeah. And it makes total sense, by the way. Like those are probably two of the hyper the hypest things coming out. We've been using hyper. the term hype a lot. A lot of hype. It makes happening. me really sad, actually. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. I don't like to think that. I guess I've just grouped all of the iPhone things into like one giant project and well they've sort I of just been like, like it wasn't that long ago. The the strategy they've had is like they I think they could have come out with all the iPhones at the same time. But you know that little that little tweak that we use where we we'll post a video like one minute or two minutes after <laughs> yeah. the embargo so it's the top of the sub box yeah it's a real strategy but i feel like that's kind of a version of what apple is doing where it's like they're gonna stay in press yeah they're gonna stay in the news with the iphone for weeks on weeks on weeks in a row yeah it's funny because like even if they came out before a samsung or before a, a google or OnePlus, like they would probably still command quite a bit of the uh the tech news, but like this gives no chance of any smartphone, anything to really come and take over the the headlines from them. The iPhone 12 Pro Max and 12 mini reviews dropped at the same time as the Xbox debuting, going on sale, Xbox Series X. Oh, man. And That's like actually, even past smartphone tech. We're just on to other tech. It's dwarfing yeah. now. I mean, they buried a Nokia phone too. It's a whole thing. But <laughs> hey, that's Apple. That's the, the attention they command. But we are going to talk, because PlayStation also has so much hype. I guess the reason we know it's hype is because 
the unboxing has 11 million views. Mm-hmm. What other unboxing does that other than the iPhone, right? Um, How do you, have we even had an iPhone hit like that level of unboxing? It's funny. The iPhone 12 also hit 11 million views. Did it? But previously, it usually takes, you know, other products a very long time to get anywhere near that number. Uh-huh. And and a lot of people have subscribed to the channel since that, waiting for the review of the PlayStation 5. So it's pretty fair to say we've had a pretty good couple of weeks talking about just these two companies and their products. But yes. Don't worry, there's a bunch of, of back to the other product stuff coming after mm-hmm. this stuff. The holiday season rolls around. We get to our end of year bigger projects, yeah, which are fun. I feel like we get to hit a bunch of things. We have a dope tech in the works also, so like probably some stuff that's been out for a little while, but we get to hit on a lot of things we've kind of maybe missed during the busy season. And then obviously our favorite end of the year stuff's coming up. So yeah, it's really... When I when I talked about in the last episode, it's like our playoffs of our workflow. It's just because it's new product, new product, new product, new product. And it can kind of feel like that's all we're doing is just talking about new products. But once this time of year ends, then we can go back to talking about tech in general mm-hmm. and comparing, you know, all the best things that came out this year, all yeah. that fun stuff. So uh, this week on things we enjoyed, I have a fun little article from The Verge. Um, tell me if you've seen, have you heard of Bunny the Dog? from TikTok? No. Okay. You might if I explain it to you, you might have seen it. It's this fairly large black and white dog and it has this set of buttons around it oh. that have individual words and yeah. it can like press the buttons and says like Is that a hoax? I don't know. It seems wild. It it is I remember seeing it a few months ago and her mat has grown since then. Like she used to just have a couple things like food outside walk now she's going into like time like wait ex- okay so explain okay, what yeah, this what's sorry, happening sorry. in these videos okay so best way to describe it do you know the i hope everyone understands this reference but i think it was staples the easy button do you remember that that was easy button just like yeah. plastic big button imagine i think the dog right now has 70 of those oh on God. individual color-coded platforms that have different categories i i think each like pad has a different category so like each button has one word attributed to it and the dog has learned these words or we're assuming has learned (laughs) these words and is now creating almost full sentences out of pressing these buttons on the maps on the ground yeah and it has grown from just pure wonder to it's gotten so popular, people are memeing it now, and it's hilarious. <laughs> the um, memes are pretty great of like going real, over the top with it. I'm like just existential crisis bunny, and like, yeah, because it's gone from just the dog pressing the button that says food, and then the button that says now, and so the dog will walk over and just go food now, food now, yeah, and they'll uh, get fed, and it's like I could see that working, but then it goes so much further. Like there's a thousand other. You said 70 buttons? I think 70 buttons right now. I honestly don't... If you put 70 buttons in front of me and told me to make a, a <laughs> complete them. sentence, it would take me a while to like find all the words to say what I want to say. Right. I, I'm i going to go... I hate to, I hate to spoil this for people, but I'm going to go with fun coincidence that the dog makes okay. sentences. I don't think it... I think it walks over and it knows it can get treats out of hitting buttons but I don't know that it's making huh. sentences on purpose. I think one of the things that um, makes me really wonder about it is not all of them are food-based. There's a lot of like walk and play and beach, and some of them will be like presses the walk button and the person says okay, and then Bunny goes to the door. So it's uh-huh. like, all right, some of these, but 
anyways, the Verge article though is talking, uh, interviewing a couple scientists and uh, how, what they're thinking about this. And while they haven't gotten to do much much research due to COVID, how they're going to continue to potentially research this and research it in the future when they can get there. But there, there are people who are very interested in this to see if we actually are close to talking dogs. And <laughs> fingers crossed, I want to talk to Mac one day. Uh, Got to get so, him some buttons now. Yeah. Mac would just hit the food button nonstop. <laughs> and yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. I'll put the article in the show notes, but Bunny huh. the Dog, if you guys haven't seen it, look it up. If not just for the excellent memes that are out there, it's a, yeah. it's a fun one. It's wild. Now we can go to PlayStation 5. All right. Yeah. So definitely, I mean, I don't want to spoil too much of the review, and you guys will see that yeah. when it comes out, but just I've been waiting for, for a, like a new generational leap of something mm -hmm. for a while and there's been so much talk about the playstation 5 controller and the haptics in it and the adaptive triggers and hopefully games taking advantage of it that this was getting me excited that maybe this is it maybe this is actually a generational leap forward mm -hmm. in something uh it's it's somewhere in the middle between like a generational leap and just like a really good improvement uh i, I still yeah. think it's a bigger leap than what i'm seeing from xbox because playstation has a new ui playstation has a couple new features playstation has the new controller and i think all those things together add up to a little more than just more horsepower yeah i haven't quite gotten to use the xbox yet i've used the playstation what's that like intro game that they have on there astro's playroom astro's playroom i played that a little bit and it, i do have to say the the new controller feels way better than old playstation controllers that game lets you feel it a little bit different there is some really cool haptic feedback that i i think is really awesome um as much as i like the new playstation controller i think xbox controllers are have a better layout i like the staggered mm. joysticks i think it fits more comfortably in a hand maybe that's me being a lifelong xbox fan um and just growing up on an xbox controller but well here's what i'll ask you because the the xbox is like the sort of standard pc controller whenever you connect a controller to a pc it's it's basically an xbox controller or a version of I it right i know that i know a lot of people that play rocket league on a playstation controller on their pc on their pc yeah interesting but okay so you're really used to the xbox controller yes what would you rather what would you be more impressed by or more likely to buy uh i think those are two different options Okay, what would you be more likely to buy? A version of the Xbox controller with better haptics or a version of the PlayStation controller with a better layout? So it's it's basically like you, you have a choice between two consoles right now. Would you go with the Xbox just because you're more used to the, the layout or would you go with the PlayStation because you get used to the new layout in favor of the haptics? Just the controller? Yeah, because you've used the haptics now. Wait, wait, so I can get an Xbox with... <laughs> PlayStation haptics. I'm not making this a very simple choice. <laughs> no, actually, I, I. So wait, wait. An Xbox with Xbox controller with PlayStation new haptics, right? Or the PlayStation controller with the haptics it has the new haptics without the haptics without the haptics. Yeah, but the Xbox layout. Yeah, let's go with that. I think the Xbox is the obvious choice in that one, right? Because it already has the layout that I like, but now gets the haptics, which is oh, the yeah, better true. part of PlayStation. And then, why do I make such dumb hypotheticals? Well, uh, <laughs> well, I thought you were trying to tell me that the Xbox got haptics and the PlayStation got the different layout, but kept its haptics. And then I was going to say that's the same thing. 
True. So yeah, uh, I guess my my question is really okay. how impressed are you with the haptics? Very. I think that I think your question before, where you said what are you more likely to buy and what are you more impressed with, I am more impressed with the PlayStation controller. I am more likely to buy the Xbox controller because I think in the long run, comfortable wise, comfortability wise, whatever, mm-hmm. it prevails. And I would in the long run like that more. Uh that's interesting. I I think in the long term. What I'm hoping to see is more games slowly taking advantage mm-hmm. of the haptics and making it worth it. Because I think now, right off the bat, like there's about six or seven games that I've played. Astro's Playroom, if you have a PS5 or if you get one, you got to play Astro's Playroom. That is the best demo of what the controller is capable of. Mm-hmm, for sure. Definitely play it, right? Uh, outside of that, like I'll play Dirt and I'll drive across different terrain. And like it feels like they it's just a PS4 game. Like They didn't really code for it yet. Yeah, we're also, I don't know how many games we've played so far that have been fully integrated with the controller right right now i think it's just three okay. so the spider-man miles morales game has a little bit built in that's a ps5 game mm-hmm. the astros playroom game of course and then i believe what is the last uh i've played need for speed i think maybe dirt is a ps5 game but it really just doesn't use the controller very much hmm. uh and so my hope is that over time we'll see start to see game updates and we'll start to see more games over time yeah that are more dedicated to the PS5 and the developers go in and go through the tweaks and make the control that next level feel for immersion. And I think over time, long term, the PS5 will be better than just having the initial comfort you're used to from the Xbox controller. Okay. Yeah, I I would not doubt if almost every PS5 exclusive game comes out has some sort of uh, like usability with the new controller options. Yeah. It would just totally make sense. Why else would you really go exclusive yeah. um, without taking over them? Can I say one quick thing about a- aesthetics I said the other day? Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So I still am not a huge fan of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I think in the right setup, the PlayStation 5 looks incredible. Like we shot an intro. Um, mostly Brandon shot an intro that looks incredible. And when the video comes out, you guys are all going to love it. And it looks amazing, mm-hmm. but it's because the environment it is in matches it. Right. If you have a sick, very white, modern, maybe hints of black and blue in it, the PlayStation 5 is going to look amazing. If you have like a very typical wood green, uh, like TV stand or like a, a very rustic home or something is going to stick out like a sore thumb and it's going to look very strange. So I think it has the ability to look amazing or just look totally out of place. Right. I think we were saying it has a higher ceiling and a lower floor Mm -hmm. than the Xbox design, which is kind of just going to basically blend in anywhere. Yeah. And I I agree with that. I appreciate the ability to have a higher ceiling because I have the flexibility of like, putting it vertically next to my TV Mm -hmm. and like it looks kind of cool sitting there. Uh, Do you have a setup that you could fit the PS5 in or would you have to put it Uh, in? It would just go in my living room. That's the only place we really have it. In the living room or in the basement near my like workout setup. So that doesn't really have any aesthetics down there. Um, Yeah. I think think after a while, now it's been what, two weeks, maybe three since I've started using the PS5? Let's just say two. Let's say two weeks for for the meme's sake. (laughs) Uh, I, I think I've gotten used to it like visually. I can yeah. walk into a room now and it's just kind of under the TV and I'm fine with it. Uh, but yeah, I got I got no problem with that design. The question is, 
how much do you care or how much does your significant other care about when people come over and go, what What on earth is that thing in the living room? I've that heard alien that. alien looking thing. Yeah, I, I feel like that's actually kind of an upside because you get a conversation piece. People have a conversation pieces in their homes all the time. They'll put weird art right. on the wall. They'll put like ornaments on the middle of a table for no reason. This is just like a functional ornament, basically. It's a conversation starter. Hey, what's that? Oh, it's the new console. It's got this game I really like. You should check it out. Yeah, it's kind of starting the conversation. Cool. There you go. There it is. And there you go, Sony. Cut. You can use that as an ad. I'll just take 10% <laughs> of all PS5 sales. Uh, Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah, no, seriously. That <laughs> That is, uh, I'm I'm totally fine with the design. I we'll, we'll have the review of both the Xbox and the PlayStation up at some point in the next week or so, so you can check those out. But yeah, I think PS5, a lot of hype around this thing. It's got to be the most hyped ever. Have we, I think we have written in here. Ever? Ever? I mean, like, the when I wrote that in these notes, like, I'm sure there's probably some console launching for the first time ever that may have been more hyped. But even, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's always hype for consoles, but this is, like, insane. I it's, think it's just the most uh, hype in the social media era. Yeah, it's the era we're in. It's just more people are playing video games. More people this year are playing video games. It's True, like, it's it, 2020. Almost like investing in a console right now makes more sense because you know you're going to use it. You know you're not just going to play it for a week and then forget about it. You yeah. got you, We got time. Yeah, you'll uh, have time to play to get some uh, some levels done and some games. Yeah, no, I think I think we, we had the stat of 106,000 people have subscribed to the YouTube channel on the watch page of the PS5 unboxing, mm -hmm. just on the watch page. That's not including the rest of the people who watched other videos and then subscribed or went to the channel page and then subscribed there. Just people who are watching the video just hit the subscribe button on the watch page. That that's, is crazy. That's not, I, that's Have crazy. you ever checked that stat and remembered it for anything else? I, I want to know what the second, I'm assuming that's the most. I wonder what the second most is. Honestly, if I were to sort, I would imagine there's maybe like one or two giveaways we've done in the past where people would just subscribe on the watch page. I don't page. even want to count that. Actually, I doubt a giveaway even has that much compared to. Yeah, it's just there's so much hype because that was also so specific. Like when you do an unboxing and you're like, make sure you get subscribed for the full review. That's the type of thing people will subscribe for. I bet the iPhone has similar numbers, but I don't even think that's at 100,000. Actually, you know what? Let me check. What do you bet? Do you think the iPhone is over or under on One. the watch page? 106,000. Which Which? The iPhone 12. iPhone 12 review or unboxing. iPhone 12 unboxing. Mm -hmm. But that also has 11 million. I'm guessing 60,000 subs from that page. I'm looking right now and it says 88,000. So yeah, PS5 okay. is hyped. There's just crazy. a lot of people yeah. just, just waiting to see what this thing is about. So the reviews are coming. Uh, I think it's time to take a quick break. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to some VPs at Apple about what happened with Apple Silicon. We'll be right back. Last week, Kanye West accused one of the biggest Twitch streamers of being an industry plant. It's an idea that comes up so often on platforms like TikTok and elsewhere. You see people who have blown up seemingly overnight. And the question is, who's behind them, right? That's what everyone wants to know. Tipping the scales and pulling the lever to make them seemingly the next it thing on the internet. This week on Power User, is it even possible to create an industry plant on the internet? And if so, how? Support for Waveform comes from Coda. 
So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. All right. So welcome to the Waveform podcast. Bob and Tim, you haven't been on the podcast before, so I'm going to give you guys a chance to quickly introduce yourselves. And then I'll, I'll see if you can give me like a quick, let's say, 30 second intro to Apple Silicon in these new Macs and the M1 chip. Awesome. That's great. I'm Bob Borchers. I uh, work in product marketing at Apple. And I'm Tim Millay, and I, I manage the platform architecture team at Apple. And the 30-second pitch on M1 is that it is a huge leap forward for the Mac. Um, it's a uh, powerhouse of a, uh, of a chip that creates great opportunities in, ter in terms of performance, battery life, new capabilities, and we just couldn't be more excited to, uh, to take this next step forward in the uh, history of the Mac. For sure. Okay, so when I saw this announcement on stage... Uh, I'll do that in air quotes on stage. Uh, I was I was very hyped for future Macs. Of course, there's a whole bunch more possibilities that are unlocked by this. But walk me through why you started this rollout with M1, with MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and Mac Mini. Yeah. So let me give maybe a little overview, and then uh, Tim can can jump in with a lot more detail. The um, the great thing about uh, M1 is that it builds off of 10 years of work and development uh, that began with creating silicon for the iPhone and for the iPad and the watch um, and all of the capabilities that we've been able to develop over that period of time in terms of creating amazingly powerful systems in, in these you know, compact form factors. Um, and as we, as we looked at it and we looked at kind of the, the capabilities and where we could bring, uh, you know, this huge improvement in terms of power and capability, we felt like uh, MacBook Air, MacBook Pro and, and Mac Mini were the, were the perfect fit. And as it turns out, those are some of our most popular systems. They are the systems in, in the homes and hands of, of millions of millions of people. And we felt like it was a great opportunity to really kind of change the game and, and bring this uh, you know cap new capability to to those systems and turned out to be a perfect match for the capabilities of M1. Um, Tim, you want to talk a little bit about how those match up? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think you know like you said, we we wanted to go and hit the biggest target. Uh, we wanted to take one uh, core silicon design and try to cover the broadest, most high impactful products that Apple has in the Mac lineup, and. Um, that's, that's what we did. That's how we crafted M1. We kind of looked at that target and we found what's the sweet spot? How can we build a part that has the dynamic range that can go from that entry-level MacBook Air all the way up to the 13-inch Pro? Uh, and, you know, let's see what we can do with Mac Mini at the same time. Uh, and I think we really nailed it. I really feel like we, we did a nice job. And, it, and the thing about Apple is we're a product company, not a chip company. 
Uh, we build our silicon. We, we have the luxury as a, as a chip designer. It's a luxury to know what you're targeting. You know what the platform is. You don't have to make guesses about what a particular PC manufacturer might want or need. Apple, we work together, software, hardware, silicon. Uh, it really makes a big difference. And that's how, that's how M1 can really land and um, deliver so well on power performance the way it has. Yeah, so I mean, I'm assuming a lot of people watching this, you know, watched it on stage with me and saw those 3X, 5X numbers, and they're all super, super impressive. But I think a lot of the questions that come from that are a little more nuanced. So the same M1 chip is in, correct me if I'm wrong, all three of these machines, um, but they will see differences in performance because of thermals. You obviously have active cooling in the MacBook Pro, no fans in the MacBook Air. Uh, how big of a difference do you expect to see? I think one of the questions I was I was seeing most often was, should I get the MacBook Pro if the MacBook Air just got that much more powerful? Well, I'll, I'll jump in. <laughs> I think, um, you know, the these are different products and have different uh, target markets. You know, uh, folks who who love that light, thin and light uh, enclosure, the classic MacBook or enclosure. This is an uncompromised, there is no bad choice because M1, the uplift you, you saw yesterday is, is dramatic. So if you're a MacBook Air user and you love your MacBook Air, this is a great, great option. Uh, if, you're, if you're a MacBook Pro 13 user and you've been happy with that machine, again, it's a great, great, great upgrade. Um, the, the, the nuance is really in the way we imagined, we knew we were gonna target those two platforms. And we wanted to make sure we had the range to be able to do it. Uh, because we are so obsessed with energy efficiency, getting into that 10 watt MacBook Air enclosure was, was actually right along the lines of the kind of work we've been doing for years for iPad Pro. And then with the idea of putting a fan in, in place, wow, that just means that we could actually put in a little bit more headroom uh, knowing that that cooling system was going to enable it in those in those systems like the Mac Mini and the MacBook Pro 13. Yeah, and I think when you think about how people use the systems, that that's where the difference come comes in. And and the fan, um, you know, allows you to have these more sustained uh, workloads that that might be more uh, appropriate to to pros who are you know uh, editing video or or doing things like that. Um, and, and it creates an incredibly, you know, uh, capable, uh, capable system. Um, and the MacBook Air is, is fantastic for, um, you know, for the customer that has, has enjoyed that, that kind of system, uh, over time as well. Um, so the, you know, while they share a number of capabilities, they were really thought about and designed with different, different audiences in mind, as Tim pointed out. Gotcha. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the MacBook Air is... I think it was mentioned on stage as the most popular Mac. And for people who are into MacBook Air, it's just a better MacBook Air in pretty much every way. So that's awesome. Um, I think for me, when, when it was said on stage that the 13-inch MacBook Pro is the ultimate expression of what the M1 chip can be, I, I firmly believe that because you got this insane battery life number. I think it was 20 hours of, of video playback and also got improved performance. How did you, when going through the designs and possibilities for the chip, how did you decide where you would, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming those are both really impressive numbers, but how do you decide if you should go more towards efficiency or more towards power? Is it just because you have a final product MacBook Pro you want to hit? Or are you just, let's see how much battery we can get? 
again, coming back to, to Tim's point, um, at the end of the day, we, we ship products and experiences to customers, not, not just, you know, specifications. And so we really do think about balancing the parameters exactly like you're talking about, you know, where, where is that right blend and where's that kind of magic, uh, that magic sweet spot. And the great thing with M1 is that, um, we didn't actually have to compromise very much because of the performance per watt and kind of our, you know, the capabilities uh, there. We could deliver these, you know, three x improvements in, uh, you know, uh, um, in performance and and machine learning and graphics and all of that while these insane battery lives come together. Um, and and that allowed us to kind of, I think, craft a new idea for what uh, for what the Mac 13 inch MacBook Pro could be about. But Tim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think. Th- that, that exactly what Bob said. I think another aspect to this is this is really the, the, the introduction of the mobile SOC and the mainstream computer. We've been building mobile SOCs, as Bob mentioned, from, you know, for, almost a, for more than a decade, really, uh, starting with the phone. We introduced them in the iPad a few years after that. And, the, and I would say architecturally the difference between a conventional PC chipset and a mobile SOC is the integration of hardware acceleration. And we do that for two reasons. Uh, for devices like the phone and the iPad, we need that touch-based responsiveness. And so there are many things we needed to build in to accelerate some of these capabilities. The GPU is sort of the obvious example because we find acceleration for graphics in both the mainstream PC as well as the mobile SoC. But beyond that, the mobile SoC, it, it accelerates video decode so that video playback is not a, a CPU heavy task. We do the whole thing, offloading the CPU. It stays in, in its lowest power state. Uh, we build on-chip caching to make sure we, we limit how often we go out to the, to the DRAM, knowing it's more expensive. We use low power, but high performance, LPDDR. Um, and so when we think about uh, power versus performance, it really equates to efficiency. We, we don't separate power and performance because we know we can't deliver more performance into an iOS product historically unless we do it efficiently. It doesn't help us to make it uh, faster but higher power because it doesn't translate to anything. Uh, that same uh, goodness is now benefiting the Mac in exactly the ways you're highlighting. How can it be both powerful, uh, uh, high performance, and uh, long battery life? That's just in our DNA and the way we build chips. Very exciting for a lot of other Macs, too. Um, so you've never had active cooling in an Apple Silicon product. iPad hasn't had fans. iPhone's never had fans. How, how much did this help the performance of the M1 to finally actually have, I'm sure that was exciting for the engineers, we're finally going to have you know, <laughs> fans for these chips to really go crazy. How much did that help the, the performance of that 13-inch MacBook Pro with M1 chip? It, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you, I think you highlight uh, the, some of the constraints that we had in building the, the mobile silicon for phone and pads. So I want to start with that. Um, yeah, we didn't have fan. Um, and, uh, but I, I think it's safe to say that because we're a product company and because we are so tightly coupled and collaborative and dependent on each other, uh, we, we have had an amazing uh, thermal design team at Apple probably the best in the world at building thermal solutions for the silicon that we build. And um, so though we didn't have active cooling, we had some amazingly creative people in our, in our product design teams finding clever ways to distribute the heat evenly across the enclosure. So I want to call out to those guys, um, those folks. The, 
The other part, though, is, you know, what do we get on the top? Um, I think, you know, for, I, I, you know, I wish I had a number in my head to tell you what it, what it was. But, um, you know, you can benchmark the machine yourself. It's, it's, it's measurable. I mean, it's, it's a pretty good uh, number. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, uh, for example, somebody buying a MacBook Air is going to be disappointed because the way we like to think about it is most, most performance, uh, we, we, try to, we try to make sure our, we always have a little bit of headroom, even in, even in chips like that go into an iPad that doesn't have active cooling. And the reason is that we know that, th that the way people use the machine, the way people use a GPU, for example, bursty workloads are super important. If you're doing a swipe on an on a iPad Pro, it has a burst of activity that, that fires up and it might exceed the thermal, let's say you have a 10 watt uh, iPad, it might exceed that 10 watts for a brief period of time, just enough to do a really interesting UI transition or a, or a smooth scroll. But we know that, the, that thermally we can sustain that for just a little bit. And then you get back into a, a normal mode. So our GPUs always had, had headroom. So it's very possible that in many scenarios, you can't tell the difference can't tell the difference because the use case isn't a sustained use case. And that goes back to the point that Bob made. If you have something that is long running and sustained, that's where that active cooling system really, really helps because it means you can maintain that performance for a lot longer. Yeah. One of the things I've been curious about is will I be able to edit video and I guess that long export uh, from the 13-inch MacBook Pro, how much of a benefit will that actually show for me? I'll be, like you said, benchmarking it and we'll see, but I'm very curious about that. Um, I had an, another like small nuanced question just about the way they fit into the lineup because you're still selling the Intel MacBook Pros uh, alongside the M1 MacBook Pro. Uh, the M1 MacBook Pro has two Thunderbolt ports. Is it just like a, a direct parallel with the lower end version of the Intel MacBook Pro? And if so, will there ever be a, uh, a four port version of the MacBook Pro. I know a lot of people were hoping for one. Yeah, I mean, you, you've got it right uh, in that the 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro that we introduced with M1 is is a direct replacement for the the product that um, that was in the line line before, and that has been well loved and uh, and and adopted by um, by you know pros uh, and and consumers alike. I mean, so we really wanted to make sure that we had that continuity and consistency. That being said, we also understand that there are people who need more than that in terms of ports or uh, expansion opportunities in terms of memory and other things, and and that's why we have the Intel systems in the line still. Um, and as we've as we've mentioned, um, you know, before, this is a transition that's going to take you know a, a couple of years for us to make. Um, and we have some amazing Intel systems um, in the in the portfolio, and we'll we'll do so for you know uh, for the the course of this this transition. Um, and so we want to make sure that, uh, you know, pros and consumers alike still have the choice and capability. Um, and we think a two port uh, version um, with M1 is is phenomenal. But there are people who will need, you know, four ports and we've got options uh, options for that as well. Yeah, I know uh, I'm, I'm kind of diving into the realm of future products. And I know you guys never give specifics on that, but I'm going to you can you can be as broad as you want with this. Um, there will be future Macs with this uh, Apple Silicon. I'm assuming there will be some sort of a different chip or different versions of the chip. What sorts of things could possibly change for when you, you design Apple Silicon for, I'm assuming the Mac Pro, the iMac, that's, that's a very different challenge as far as thermal room and 
active cooling and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, how do you look at those different challenges? Well, of course, you know, uh, right now, today, the, the biggest challenge is uh, uh, just ex you know, delivering our excitement about the, the systems that we have in front of us and getting those out in people's hands and seeing what kinds of things uh, get, get unlocked. But of course, you know, as we've said, uh, the transition is going to take a, a couple of a couple of years, and that means that you know uh, we will continue work in terms of innovating and bringing these these technologies in 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 a variety of different places and and, and different applications. And I don't know, Tim, if you've got any any kind of general thoughts on on places and you know uh, things where maybe technology we have today you know will continue to be something we can leverage as we go forward. Yeah, I think um, I, I I would say maybe in 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 the in an appropriately general way, I'll, I'll describe the um, architectural philosophy we have. You know, when, when one of the things we want to make sure we do, um, and if you looked at the iOS example, uh, we introduced phone chips. Uh, a few years later, we introduced the iPad chip. After that, we introduced uh, iOS, silic or iOS silicon or Apple silicon in the watch. Um, what, what I push for my team is to make sure when we do that introduction into a new product, it looks familiar to our software uh, teams and our software developers. So it doesn't, it's not a dramatic change in architecture. We build our tool, we build our GPUs, our CPUs, our hardware acceleration in scalable ways, knowing that we're going to move that technology down and up the line. So M1 really is a natural step for us. It was, it was a, uh, we took the scalable architecture that we had, took it one more notch up to fill these very high impact, exciting new products that we introduced yesterday. And you can imagine that that's the that's the recipe book. That's the, that's the uh, the script we're going to use as we as we transition the Mac forward is to try to take some of the same great technologies and scale them up so that it looks it looks feels and delivers the same kind of high impact uh, and uh, benefit that that M1 has has delivered. All right, I have a uh, one final question, which is because I, I know you guys see the whole behind the scenes process of of what goes into making these chips and making these things come to life. I'll let you each highlight what do you think is something that was underrated or maybe underappreciated through the keynote? You know, you, you got the message out. Obviously, there's a lot to cover, so there's only so much you can fit into this 55-minute incredibly well-produced video. Uh, maybe you have something that's uh, maybe flew under the radar or something I should keep an, an eye out for when I'm doing my testing uh, getting into these new machines. I'll I'll start, and I think it's one of the things that you will um, you'll discover quickly, and is also one of the things that um, that I know a lot of your your listeners are are interested in, which is um, the the technology that is built into Rosetta Two, um, and Tim and his team are directly responsible for this incredible innovation uh, that allows Intel um, uh, apps written for Intel systems to run just smoothly flawlessly on uh on on m1 um and in in some cases especially where uh where they're making use of of metal um can can actually see performance improvements um and i know most people when they're thinking about these transitions they're like okay the hardware seems in theory great but what's it going to do with my software um and this is the fourth third or fourth of our major transitions we've done this you know over our uh, over our, our history. Um, and Rosetta 2 is really an, a key anchor point there. And it's, it's really, it's actually a phenomenal technology. It shares the name Rosetta with the, with what we introduced in the, uh, PowerPC to Intel transition, but it's, it's built from the ground up. Um, and, and I think it's, a, it's an amazing story. 
All right. Software. What about you? <laughs> I, I think that's a great one. And, and like Bob said, I think the this was a great col- another great collaboration. I think um, we call it the same name, but it, if you look under the hood, it is a it is a a really dramatically different and, and well-crafted piece of uh, code that allows us to make this transition seamless. And it was done in concert. We, we started that about the same time we started thinking about this transition, just to make sure we, were, we had a great story. Uh, um, you know, I, I think maybe the one other thing I would bring up, just getting kind of more nerdy into the chip, is this whole story about unified memory. I really think it's going to be an eye-opening uh, experience for developers who have any developer who historically was, has struggled with the capacity for the kind of memory the GPU can get access to and the amount of bandwidth that a multiprocessing, uh, multiprocessor task could get access to. Because unified memory gives you the best of both worlds. It gives you wide, fast, high bandwidth for the GPU that's also now available to the CPU. And it gives us high capacity memory uh, for the GPU that was previously only available for the CPU. And if you're a developer that's that's trying to build multi-engine workloads, now you can move this data back and forth. You don't have to copy it. You don't have to move it from the GPU frame buffer into the main memory system so the CPU can access it. It's all sitting there. Uh, and this is going to help with performance. It's going to help with energy efficiency. Um, and I really think that that's another part of the story that we did, we did highlight it. And I was actually pretty pleased with the way it was presented. But it's something I'm super excited about because it's a, it's a piece of core technology that's sort of essential to the mobile SOCs that we've been building. Gotcha. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's a ton of people working on this stuff, and I'm sure you get to see the final presentation, and fingers crossed it comes across the way you hoped. So it's good to hear. I enjoyed the presentation, and uh, I appreciate the time for you guys breaking this down for me. And I'm just looking forward to testing. <laughs> I think that's what it comes down to. This is uh, an exciting time to be a tech nerd and... Uh, I'm sure the stuff you guys are working on has a big part of what to do with that. So thank you uh, for the time, and uh, hopefully we'll chat again soon. All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed it. So there you have it. A lot of a lot of interesting talking points, I think. I, I really obviously couldn't get super into, hey, tell me how many cores <laughs> the, the piece of Apple Silicon you're putting in the, the Mac Pro in two years will have. That's the kind of stuff they never talk about. But it's always fun to hear a little bit of the behind the scenes when you're talking to people who've worked on this mm-hmm, stuff, what they sure. think about, what the priorities are. And yeah, my hype remains obviously as impressive as these new laptops and the Mac Mini look. My hype remains with like the two, three year down the line high end desktops when they just get to put a gigantic piece of silicon and some fans and just let it go to work with no efficiency <laughs> concerns. I am ready. I am ready for that. Uh, anyway, I hope some of your questions were answered. We got some clarification on the two-port MacBook Pro there, but we'll go ahead and take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll bring in Brandon. We'll talk crazy graphics and intros, and apparently you've got a little conspiracy or something to read me, so uh, we'll check that out in a second. Be right back. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. 
So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life, depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. Eurovision is here. This year's contest gets underway this week in Malmö, Sweden, but this year's contest comes with a dose of controversy. I'll give you one guess as to what people are mad about. Yes, correct, it's that. Organizers of the Eurovision Song Contest say they are assessing whether Israel's entry breaks the rules on political neutrality. I think it's a shame. I think there's no way that, that Israel should be able to participate Pro-Palestinian protesters are taking to the Swedish streets. More than a thousand Swedish artists, including Robin, have called for an Israel ban. Some European politicians are joining them. Charlie Harding from Switched On Pop joins us this week on Today Explained to help us figure out if Europe can sing its way out of this situation. All right, welcome back. We have Brandon Havard with us joining us now um you're gonna you're gonna react to an email we got with us um just oh. before we get into some some of those cool intros we've shot recently this so, could uh, go one of many ways <laughs> emails yeah. i do i feel like one day when i forget to write the podcast i'm just going to read a bunch of really cruddy emails <laughs> that we get this is not yeah. one of them but we're just gonna read some really bad emails one day to make up time um okay so i got an email from somebody and I just thought it was kind of interested, and I want to know if you guys have ever heard of this. I, w- I don't know if I'd call it a conspiracy, but okay. um, they just said, Apple is super conscious about the verbiage they use when describing portable computers. They never refer to computers as laptops. You'll almost, never, you'll almost always see the verbiage portable computers and most of the time notebooks. That reason being, these computers are not meant to be used on one's lap. The vent is right before the display clamshell, and when used for a prolonged time on the lap, it will overheat. So they Thoughts never on that. I've never noticed it personally. I cannot. I conf- call it a laptop all the time. Right. I I can't confirm if I've ever or. An... <laughs> it's I mad that you called it a laptop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can't confirm if I've ever or never heard Apple call 
the MacBooks laptops. I don't actually remember. Now that I'm thinking about it, I guess I can't think of a time that they called it a laptop. Mm -hmm. But haven't they showed it like on a lap at least once somewhere in an ad or like in a promo video or something? We've seen so many. It's like, uh, I'm not totally sure. Then again, I never use my, my laptop on my lap ever. You see, really? that's that's a contrast to me because that's my preferred method of using my, my laptop. Not on like a desk or table, you're on, on the lap usually? Usually I'm like either like in my bed or I'm just like sitting down somewhere and I have it like propped up like at the back corner. You can see the vent now that I'm- Yeah, yeah, yeah never so they're- really thought of. They're right that the vent is facing down, and if you put it on your lap, you're gonna be blocking a lot of that vent. Mm -hmm. But is it so bad that they never ever wanna tell you to put it on your lap or it will definitely overheat? I don't know if it's that serious. I feel like you can probably use it on your lap and be fine. I mean, but I've definitely is... used MacBooks in the past on my lap. They have gotten very hot. I've used um, all kinds of laptops. But every laptop I've, yeah, has gotten very hot on my lap. Probably also because I'm using it on the couch with a blanket, and it's definitely getting zero airflow. But yeah, that's what it's that's what it's for. Yeah. It also depends on what you're doing. I mean, if you're editing videos, then yes, it's going to give you fourth degree burns. But if you're just you know sending an email or like you know watching a video, it's probably not going to get that hot, right? I don't yeah. know. I don't think I don't think it's a problem. It's kind of I just think it's a, think about it, and now think like watch Apple stuff in the future and see what we. It's definitely going to be in the back of my mind when I watch things now. Yeah. That's that's facts. Yeah, I'm overthinking this for sure. It's going to be in the back. All right. All right, I'll start watching a little more carefully. Do I see it ever in someone's lap? I'll figure that one out. Yeah. Thank you, anonymous email. Thank you for an email that I enjoyed reading and didn't just instantly delete. It's rare. Appreciate it. It's rare. Okay, past, uh, past that. We specifically brought Brandon in here and also... Well, we, we brought Brandon in because we've shot some really fun intros lately that have gotten... A lot of people seem to really like them on, on Twitter. And we would have been here also. His car is in the shop right now, so he's just not here. Yeah. He's helped on a lot of these. That's just for everyone wondering where Vin is. Um, but Brandon, you're in here today. We've made some pretty crazy. You've basically made some pretty crazy intros. I think the last, couple, the last couple weeks, we've come in wanting to shoot something, and you're like, I have an idea for an intro. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just kind of goes from there. And if we have any hair left after the end of shooting it, that'll be a surprise. But I think mostly we've just had a lot of time because you've been shooting retro tech and you had like a meeting one day. So you were gone for like five hours and we just <laughs> buckled down and the three of us just shot something forever. But um, you've had some crazy ideas. We've been putting them to good use. I think they've made the videos fun, but I thought, well, let's just go through them and kind of walk through what they look like, how they were shot, and if there were any interesting things we did to to accomplish it. Does that sound cool? Yeah, yeah. let's go through them one by one. Yeah. So where do you want to start? iPhone 12? Uh, iPhone 12 Pro, I think, was the first one, right? The oh, like, yeah. water. water yeah. I think that one has kind of the most hype, so that's a fun one to start with. All um, right, so explain this yeah, iPhone 12 Pro. It. How did it end up in the water? What is going yeah, on? Yeah, so it's it started at a very different place than, than where it ended. And I feel like that's I feel like that's yeah that's that's kind of a, a reoccurring theme with these intros. But um, most of the time, they sort of end up in a better place. You know, I'm knocking mm -hmm. on wood metaphorically. Um, but uh, with that intro specifically, the idea was like gold and blue, two very wonderful colors together. Um, I was saying, you know, what's what's gold? Like, what can I include that's gold? 
I was sort of thinking about like, what if we shoot some water into some glitter and some water and some lights and we'll sort of make it, you know, look magical. And um, I think I was in the shower and I like hopped out of the shower and I, I texted the group chat and I was like, okay, I have this idea. I want, do we have a bucket for water? <laughs> and I, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like everyone just decided that I was insane at that point. Um, but uh, the next week we, we came in and we sort of uh, had a, a running start um, in the morning. I think we spent like what, three hours shooting? Long, the whole way longer thing? than that. Marquez, you went somewhere in the city that was supposed to start at 10 and you were supposed to be it was supposed to be a three hour shoot right it was i didn't get back till like dark five i think yeah it was crazy we got into the studio at regular time so that means with a lunch break we were shooting from 10 till 5 probably that was literally a full work day to shoot that it was it was it was a fun one though i mean it was a lot of trial and error at, at start because obviously when you're transporting a massive bucket of water across a big studio um yeah do you want to quickly try and visualize it to the people listening just in case they haven't seen it i hope all of you saw it and i will definitely put it in the show notes because you all should watch this but um yeah just, just for people who haven't seen i it. mean basically it's it's kind of like uh i don't like a flowy kind of like start um but a lot of uh, a lot of glimmer to like the sides because the the rails are shiny so i wanted to get that light across the sides um and at the beginning, it's just a lot of really tight macros, getting uh, the um, the architecture of, of the cameras as well as the side rail. And then um, sort of the hero shot is the phone floating above a surface of water that's glimmering gold while the phone is, of course, blue. Um, and that was sort of like the money shot. Yeah. Uh, and that was surprisingly the easiest shot to get. <laughs> Um, the rest of them were, were sort of, you know, trying to find its way mm-hmm. into like, I feel like I start with like two images in my head that I sort of want to capture and I draw them down. Um, and then the rest of the time I just sort of figure out what I want to shoot to piece together, uh, in my head, s- some sort of like an intro progression. Um, but that was, that was pretty much the whole entire build. And then, we got into the editing bay and it sort of fit together. We put in some lens flares, we changed some colors. Um, and what originally was just a very like monotone, strictly blue and gold, then turned into sort of like this pastel sunset kind of array of colors. So yeah. like in that respect, I feel like it really found itself in the actual shooting process. When I get a new product, which happens a lot this time of year, uh, <laughs> I get into my testing, I get into using the device, and um, I'm reviewing it as I go. I'm like taking notes on it, I'm like figuring it out. Oh, this has this quirk here, let me just write that down. Oh, you know, it has this like this thing I just realized it does when you put it down on a table, let me write that down. And after a while, I eventually go, you know what, I have enough here, I'm ready to review it, and I'll put everything together. And the last stuff I'm trying to come up with is like the title, the thumbnail, and like what really ties the thread of the whole review together. I feel like when you see a gadget, you have like a, an eye for like what visually stands out about like the, the visual design of the gadget. Hmm. And I think it sort of translates into like what makes an intro or a, a graphic or a couple of shots really good. So 
with like the iPhone, like you said, the super shiny rails, like you got to get a shot of like showing those rails mm-hmm. or you're kind of missing out on a big part of the iPhone. So you got to show that stuff. How do you think about like when you, you write these things down or you're drawing shots down, how do you think about like what do you want to capture? What do you want to make sure you get? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that's exactly it is like, I always want to have hands-on time with the product beforehand, uh, beforehand, beforehands, with, on hands, with hands. Um, but specifically with that phone, um, I mean, you know, even not to jump, but like with PS5, it's like a lot of these products have really remarkable designs and like the little things that you don't necessarily see with your eye that we can really hone in on with like a macro lens. I want to bring attention to that. Um, but uh, specifically with iPhone 12, I think the two bigger changes uh, with this phone specifically in terms of aesthetic, of course, the more uh, straight, you know, blockish design. The flatness. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the shimmer and the sheen and, um, of course, the camera being a little bit different with that LiDAR sensor and the color. So, you know, those are the three things I really wanted to... Uh, focus on with this specifically but that's just kind of a reoccurring theme figuring out what's new and figuring out what looks good with that yeah i think uh you were mentioning how a macro lens can see things better than like kind of the average person seeing and how we use that a lot that also wound up being one of the hardest things shooting that um there's probably i'm sure there's a ton of people that think the water is cg in that but no Mm -hmm. it was like a tub full of water oh let me just start by saying most of what we do is practical effects oh yeah. like when i watch mm-hmm. those apple keynotes oh. in my brain i'm like that was cg that was cg that was adjusted that was cg Ooh, that might have been practical what we do here is well we're not cg artists so no. we, we do have some motion graphics sort of text and overlapping things that we can do but it is very heavy on practical effects yeah how nervous were you not being in the studio knowing we were walking around with a giant tub of water next you know, to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, I, electronics. I wasn't too worried. I kind of trusted. I trust the process, I, though. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I, I, was, I was losing it. There was one point where, like, a quasar tube tipped over when I wasn't looking, and I my heart jumped. Do you know when you, like, almost get in a car accident and you're like whole body's tensed up for like mm. five minutes. That's how I felt. Cause I was just waiting to hear the rushing water everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to the macro lens, one of the hardest things about shooting that was every time we would get a shot set up, it would look perfect on camera. Vin would have whatever he was using to make the ripple effects. Mm-hmm. We'd press record and like this big chunk of hair would float by in the water, <laughs> like next to like, the, yep. <laughs> the yeah. iPhone or like, a piece of dust is a macro's like worst enemy. Like it is impossible to get a clean looking phone on a macro lens because dust you'll never see is always, always there. You know what? That's why Apple does so much CG. Yeah. Is because it's absolutely perfect. They made the phones, they have the models of the phones, they have high resolution imagery of the phones. They can just make whatever they want with the CG and we'll never be able to achieve that practically. But that yeah, they don't have to deal with the dust floating through the air and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Okay, so next scene, let's go to the iPhone 12 mini, which was like a rotating shot. Uh, painting a picture here, it looked like a kind of like a floating platform. You see the iPhone 12 Pro Max. It turns around and reveals the mini while the Max is disappearing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was a fun one. It was very fun. Right. I imagine the idea for that came from, this phone is small. Let's show how small it exactly. is. Exactly. It was a fun way to show the difference in the two most different sizes yeah um, 
Yeah. Because it's so easy to just put those two on a table and say, cool. But For sure. this was the seven hour way of explaining. Yeah. I don't think this one took as long. But So fundamentally, how does that that disappearing phone happen? Um so in in terms of in terms of gear, in terms of like we so we had to shoot the same scene more than once, obviously. Right. And we had to do some some post production work. Yeah, yeah. You're imagining that all as you're shooting, right? Yeah. So basically, um like with with developing all of these intros, I feel like as much as I I love to sort of visualize what could look cool, I also have to think about how it's practical and if it's practical. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like along with like, you know, being like, oh, this would look cool. How how would we figure this out? And uh, like one of my favorite tools to use is um, this specific uh, head on an electric slider that just simply rotates and tilts. Um, and I use that in a lot of intros. Uh, but specifically with this, I was I was thinking about you know some sort of a platform that we can put these phones on, take advantage of the flat edges, doesn't need anything to prop them up. Love that. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's the best thing ever. Um, but with this, we did it in um, two takes. It was two different takes. We had uh, the robot coming in on a track forward, and we had uh, simply this disembodied table that we took the legs mm-hmm. off of um, on the uh, rotating portion of the slider so we had a full turn on the slider we had the full track in we did that twice one with just the mini and one with both the mini and the max and then you can probably guess we just faded out the one with the max as the the move went on um and uh yeah the the one complicated part which is it's always the things you don't expect um but specifically with this uh towards the end of the shot because the mini is so reflective uh we got the camera lens of Mm -hmm. of the camera on the robot uh coming in reflecting on the phone so i had to sort of mask that out and build like a fake iphone for the back as the as the move finished but um and that was a fairly straightforward shot it was pretty simple yeah wasn't i think our biggest issues were first of all we used one of the dbrand sheets but you could see the corners of it which right. wound up looking really bad we had this end table that we wound up using that at first we didn't like because it had a lip and then it wouldn't look like a flat surface but when we used it it almost had this fun like floating ufo like look to it and felt like like on a pedestal kind of um and we thought it looked really cool so it wound up working well and then our other issue was like you said the reflection just a tip for anyone out there who's trying to shoot really reflective stuff. The way we kind of combat it is we have this like black piece of foam core that we cut a hole out to put the lens in. So then black covers up the camera and the tripod and everything to prevent all those different colors. Like our camera has a big red button on the front of it. Just and the like, like red badge and the yeah. Sackler logo and stuff like that. So Just yeah, that to up. cover all that up, sometimes we'll put a polarizer on to make the lens a little darker. Um, this one, unfortunately, was so reflective that even with cutting out that huge thing, by the way, the robot looks ridiculous when it has that giant <laughs> like piece of foam core on the front. But So Brandon had to go into post. Um, I think that's another thing that some people don't understand with how hard these shots are is me as someone who doesn't do that much editing and post editing, I'm sitting here with Brandon doing these things and he's like, I'm like, was that okay like that you can see that he's like oh yeah i'll just fix that later i'm like oh okay trust you and then every time he blows me away and it comes out like perfect but 
there's a lot of trust going on in there. He knows what he can and can't do, and it's worked yeah. every time. It's it's really fun to watch. Thank one you. of my one of my favorite things that I've seen, sort of a, just a couple times on YouTube, is people trying to recreate some of the shots that have appeared in our videos. Some of them are those intros. Some of them are the robot yeah. shots. Some of them are the craziest shots we've done. And yeah, it's it's really fun, like the imagination going into some people. If you can look these up on YouTube, there's a couple really good ones where they'll watch the video and then they'll recreate the set the way they think it was done. And a lot of them get really close and they sort of piece together the pieces one by one, how you can do it in post, how you can do it practically. And you, know, you see the final result, what they can make, and then you, you see the final result of what we've tried to do and all the little things that you have to do in post that you might never think about become very apparent when you, you look the different side by side. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a testament to how much work goes into them. It's one of those things where people recreate it and get the like idea down and you're like, oh, like they did a pretty good job. They did. They got really close for having nowhere near the type of setup that we have, but then it just shows that the setup we have lets you get it perfectly so nobody's thinking about right. like that little mistake, that wobble, that reflection, that this, that, that, like everything we have lets us just let it be an intro and not get distracted from anything else. Um, but yeah, we, I feel like we should make a thread of people who have tried to to replicate things because it's really fun yeah. to watch. I might, I might tweet some of those side. out. Those are, yeah. they're pretty fun for me to watch. They definitely are. All right. Uh, last one. Last one. HomePod mini. We just, we just shot this today. So this is fresh. Um, yeah. How did the uh, how did the HomePod Mini intro idea come to your mind? Yeah, so um, I think uh, with this one specifically, I really came in this morning with no idea what the hell we were doing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and uh, I, I think like a, a conscious effort on my part is making sure that like the intros that we do, some of them can be very cinematic, some of them can like look like a commercial in a sense. But other ones, I still feel really have to have personality to them um, to be able to still remain, you know, friendly YouTube content and not an ad. Um, and with this specifically, like one of one of the funny things that, that's happened in the past couple of weeks was uh, one day I was in and we were playing with a HomePod mini and uh, Marquez was like, take your phone, see if it works. And we were just tapping the phone relentlessly trying to make it work and it wouldn't. Um, and I just found that really funny. And um, I was like, well, why don't we just try and do that for the intro? That's a feature of the HomePod mini. Um, and then of course we brought the robot into it and it became infinitely more complicated. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a two stage shot. I don't think we've ever done like a, a two separate move shot no, before. Especially... Uh, especially like with the same flow of movement, I guess. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like we created a shot and then had to completely pause while we loaded up the next shot or robot movement, loaded up the next movement and went through with it. I think that's the first yeah. time we've ever done that. But yeah, um, no, it was, I mean, it was pretty straightforward except for the whole entire like snapping and morphing thing, which was just yeah. a lot of trial and error of uh, making sure that all of the elements aligned things were in place there was no dust on the table nothing moved and then of course the technology had to work mm -hmm. which was another portion of it but um yeah this one was was pretty fun and you know again in the editing bay it was also pretty straightforward we, we've had a lot of intros before that either it's like the edit portion or just the shooting portion that has been a simple idea in theory 
but has turned out to just be so much more complicated than we originally planned it to be. Yeah, I, f- but, I feel um, like that happens a lot. We have our we have our robot idea. We'll go into that room. We'll start to set everything up. We'll start to build it, and we'll start to shoot it. And then slowly it will sort of like reassemble itself into a new idea. And we'll mm-hmm. go, yeah, this is the one we actually want to do. This yeah. is a little more possible. Yeah. Honestly, sometimes we spend so much time in the, the robot room. I'm waiting for us to come out and the police to be like, you guys have been missing for a week. Where <laughs> where have you been? Um, it, we're in there a long time. This was probably one of our more efficient shoots today. Yeah, It was a little simpler, but it's still, it could not have been done without the robot. I don't think so because yeah. of the axes of movement and the precision it needed in order to swap a product out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think it looked, it looked really cool. It's a fun intro. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for you guys. If you haven't seen all of them, well, you're in for a treat. Go ahead and watch the last yeah. few videos on the channel and, and note some of these intros. Also, big shout out to Michael who put together the iPhone 12 Pro too, yeah. Max intro, which was entirely built from scratch and a, a sort of a photorealistic version of a meme, which is just dragging the corner of the device to make it bigger. Uh, for sure, a lot of effort goes into the motion graphics. Check that one out too. And then hopefully by the time this goes live, the PlayStation 5 review is live. And that is your latest epic cinematic intro with the most hyped console of the year. So it all sorts, sort of ties together when you watch that too. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it. We can probably mm-hmm. cut. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, Thanks for listening. We'll have a lot more coming up. Obviously, there's a bunch more tech coming out this year, but it's that end of the year period where we get to talk about all the best stuff of the year. So tune back in next time. Thanks for listening. Waveformer is brought to you in part with Studio 71, and our intro-outro music was created by Cameron Barlow. <laughs>